Welcome to Changing Higher Ed, a podcast dedicated to helping higher education leaders improve their institutions. My name is Dr. Drum McNaughton, and I'm the CEO of The Change Leader, a management consultancy that helps university leaders create sustainable higher ed institutions through holistic approaches to strategic management, university academics and operations, change management, leadership, and governance. Our podcast brings you the latest in higher ed news, as well as some of the top experts in our profession who will share with you their perspectives on how you can grow your institution. Looking out a few months, there's a couple of conferences on the horizon that you might want to be aware of. First is AACSB's annual accreditation conference, which is being held in D.C. September 23rd through 25th. Second, the Association for the Advancement of Sustainability in Higher Education's annual conference is being held in Pittsburgh October 2nd through 5th. And finally, the Transnational Association of Christian Colleges and Schools annual conference is being held in Dallas October 30th through November 2nd. Our guest today is Mark Griffin, president of In His Name HR. Mark began his career in the Air Force, where he served for four years. And like many service members, Mark spent his evenings studying for his bachelor's degree. Mark's is in Human Resource Administration from St. Leo's University. After being discharged, Mark returned to his home state of Pennsylvania, where he graduated from Bloomberg University with an MBA, and he interned for Congressman Konjorski as the military liaison during the first Gulf War. Mark has worked in HR at several fortune companies, including Quaker Oaks, PepsiCo, Merck, Kodak, and Valco, where he was the vice president for HR before starting his own firm in his name HR. Mark's seen a lot in HR, both good and bad, and it's helped mold his driving philosophy that your employees are part of your company family and that you treat everyone with dignity and respect. He knows what works and what doesn't work, and we're glad to have him here to share his insights. Mark, thank you and welcome to our show. Mark, tell me, you transitioned to higher ed from corporate a few years back. Why? Well, Drum, I had an incredible career in human resources, and I didn't realize at the time as I worked for all these different companies, whether it was Quaker Oats Company or Mark Pharmaceutical or Kodak Corporation, that what I was doing is I was basically creating a portfolio of HR experiences that I could share with a lot of different organizations. So seven years ago, I decided to step out using all my learnings from those big companies and then take them to smaller organizations. I'm sure you've seen a ton of stuff over the years, both good and bad. And having that experience to be able to advise your clients, I'm sure is critical. It is critical. And what's really uh, fascinating to me is I've worked and now in the last past seven years, I have supported and my team has supported an incredible amount of organizations in diverse areas. We've helped companies that have healthcare, medical centers, retirement communities, manufacturing, We even helped one organization that's in agriculture entertainment. They do agri-entertainment where they bring people in, they educate them, and they have a real good time doing it. So what I learned is wherever there's people, you can apply most of the core HR principles. 
You've seen some challenges over the years. What what are the some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen that higher ed could really learn from? Well, what I'm seeing in higher ed, and I'm intimately involved with uh, a couple different organizations that are working with higher education institutions, and we actually have some clients in higher ed. The common theme that I'm seeing is many of those organizations, they're very bureaucratic. Uh, They've grown over a period of time, and they've put a lot of staff in place, and they really haven't gone through the transitional changes that occurred in, in industry in the 90s. There was a lot of uh, right-sizing, reorganizations, divestitures in private industry and in public industry, but colleges never seemed to really change. They didn't adapt. So I see a lot of bureaucracy, and I see a lot of uh, organizations that don't really have their staff aligned to what their mission, vision, and values are, or maybe that, that higher ed institution really doesn't have a good firm mission, vision, values for their organization. Amen, brother. There are so many institutions I've seen out there that if they really, truly understand what their purpose was, what their mission was, then and they can align their strategies, their structures, and their processes behind those and get their stakeholders attuned to what's going on, they'd be flying they would be flying drum. And that you're making a very good point. We see that constantly. And we have a lot of managers, executives that get very frustrated with line staff. Oh, people aren't working like they used to work, or they're not, you know, as motivated or committed. But really, when the dust settles, what you find is people are coming to work, and they really want to do a great job. They want to do well, but their lack of leadership in that organization isn't sharing with those employees what the goals and objectives are based on their mission, vision, and values. So employees come in, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't know what they're supporting. And they're coming in saying, I want to come in and get paid and get out of here as quick as I can. The organizations that create a lot of energy around the mission, vision, and values are the organizations that win, that really drive home results and get people on the team motivated to go to where the mission is and the vision of the organization. Well, what you're talking about sounds to me like serious generational challenges. There are generational challenges. And I just had this discussion, uh, quite frankly, with a candidate today over lunch who we're interviewing for, for a CFO position for one of our client companies. And we talked about those uh, generational issues. And what we're seeing is a lot of older people, when I, when I say older, uh, people like myself in their early 50s, 60s, they're working with people in their mid-20s to mid-30s, and uh, we'd call those folks millennials. And many older workers are very frustrated. But what they don't realize is millennials really witnessed a lot of their parents and grandparents not really being treated with dignity and respect from employers mass layoffs, uh, closures, housing crisis in 2008. I know in my own family, having moved for a big fortune company and then being laid off two, three years into that engagement, that affected my children. We had to relocate again. So you have a lot of millennials that have 
real world experiences and they're a little jaded towards organizations and working for organizations. I understand exactly what you mean. In one of the classes I taught years ago, I had a number of millennials in the class and we did a disc profile, which came out very differently than what I would have expected. But more importantly, we're having a conversation with a couple of folks and they said, well, I've been in this job for six months. I really like it. I may stay another six months. And coming from a boomer perspective, if you like something, what you're doing, you would stay there more than just a year. But I think this is part of the challenge is they're looking for experiences, their value system. They want to feel like they're important as well as giving important input and contributions to an organization. And if they don't feel that, then they're going to pack up and leave. And they're going to move on. And and you can say that you don't like it or you don't agree with it. And you think that, you know, millennials, all they're looking for is praise and all this. You can say that, but you're not going to motivate them and you're not going to keep them. It's not going to change. They're not going to change as a generation. What we need to do is approach it with love and say, okay, this is what they're used to. This is the way that they were raised. This is way um, the college or university treated them that they went to. Now, what are we going to do to design great employment programs to help motivate them? And that's what I think our firm is really good at doing. Yeah, I, I get that. They need to be challenged. They need to feel like they're valued employees. And they want to grow. I think most of everything, they want to grow. And if you give them projects, mentor them through getting there, they grow, they're going to be far better employees, and they're going to stay longer. Exactly. So let me tell you about two different organizations. One organization I met with was so frustrated because millennial turnover was astronomic. They were losing them at six-month point. They were leaving to go to other organizations. And they were telling me how everything that they did just wasn't working to motivate them and keep them, that they put a management team together. They went off-site and spent hours creating this great HR program and onboarding and reward systems. And they put this in place and spent tens of thousands of dollars to no avail because they felt the millennials didn't care. So after they explained this for 15 or 20 minutes, I asked them when they were done explaining it, so how many millennials were involved in this program development and their jaws dropped? Well, no, we didn't involve them at all. And I said, so you created a program in a vacuum with older people and then put the program in place and you're wondering why it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you didn't get millennial involvement and you don't know what it is that creates the excitement and creates them being committed to the organization. That's why it's not working. Now, in another organization, they pulled millennials in and they brainstormed and they spent time and they had focus groups. And those millennials went back out and they were explaining it to other millennials and other older employees to say, this is what we're coming up with. This is a a new pay time off policy. This is a new uh, way that we can take time off. And it created excitement because they were allowed to go out and develop the program. And that program became very successful. And that's the type of program that you must have, not only with millennials, but now in universities as well. Exactly. We have two sayings at our firm. One, people support what they help create. And then second, 
people want input into decisions that are going to affect them before the decision is made. Even if the decision isn't changed, as long as they're allowed to have input is huge. People want to be heard. You don't necessarily have to do what they're telling you to do. They just want to be heard most of the time. Exactly. So you've seen a lot of changes in HR, but tell me a little bit. Your firm's sweet spot is really faith-based institutions. Well, that's what we launched. There's so many different human resources organizations out there. And uh, when I launched about seven years ago, I knew that we had some great experiences. I had worked as a VP of human resources for a company uh, that was uh, owned by Christians. They, they wanted to do great things. They wanted to do some great things from a ministry perspective as well. And we felt that rather than hide our faith or what our target market was, that we would brand ourselves as in his name HR. And we would say that we do HR from a Christian perspective, similar to the way that Dave Ramsey does finance from a Christian perspective. We decided to go down through the marketing aspect of marketing ourselves as HR folks from a Christian perspective. So you, you've seen both secular and faith-based. Do you see differences in the way that they should be running their HR programs? Actually, I don't. I don't see that much of a difference between organizations, whether it's a secular or a Christian-owned business, uh, naturally in a nonprofit or a Christian college, a Christian ministry, a Christian church. Yeah, things are going to be a little bit different because their mission is a little bit different than a for-profit organization. But I really don't see a lot of differences. You know, I worked for the Quaker Oats Company, who was very, very good at being moral, trying to develop people in the community taking care of the poor when they could, educating folks in the communities as well. So there were a lot of similarities between the two. And that's what I've seen as well. HR is HR, and you can approach it from a very tactical perspective of quarterly earnings, et cetera, or you can approach it from a more strategic perspective to make sure that you're getting that alignment of strategy, structures, processes, including hiring processes. And then you're getting that stakeholder attunement to where you've got you're hiring people who believe in the organization, they share the same kind of values, and they want to be part of it. Exactly. That's right. In higher ed, there's a huge argument going on about adjunct faculty, controlling costs, doing away with tenure. Do you get into any of those kind of uh, topics with your clients? Oh, absolutely. It's- probably going to be an issue that's discussed for many years to come because there's many people on both sides, especially when it comes to adjuncts. There's some really good adjunct professors that do a great job. Uh, Many of those, quite frankly, have earned a lot of money, had worked for great companies, may have a pension, a 401k, they've educated themselves, they come on as an adjunct, and they don't have to earn as much in earnings, and that's that could be a blessing to the university or college. Uh, but there, you know, are some other professors who have not had that opportunity to make a lot of money in private industry and are struggling to make ends meet, although they have great experiences and they do have a great impact with the students, being paid as, as an adjunct just isn't enough for them to get by. What do you think universities should be doing about these kind of things? 
I think they need to be evaluating where they're getting their adjuncts from, the turnover of the adjuncts. I would create some type of study group to look at the students' perceptions of adjunct versus uh, full-time professors and really come to the conclusion of uh, should we continue with adjuncts or should we look at hiring people full-time? I think there's a great value of bringing people on full-time. They get more motivated to be connected um, into the mission, vision, and values. And I also think that you know the professors should be paid well, too. They, they should uh, have a, a proper earnings level. You know, it's interesting you say that because that is one of the big reasons universities use adjuncts as much as they do is from a, a finance perspective. But there is one university that I worked with years ago. They have a very unusual model. They have their full-time faculty and they teach primarily masters and, and doctoral programs. They have their full-time faculty uh, and it's a technology university, full-time sure. faculty teaching the foundational courses. And then they bring adjuncts in for what I think was the exact right reason, because they are working in industry right now, and they're bringing in the latest and greatest to teach their students. To me, that's just a wonderful model of how to use adjunct faculty. And by the way, they pay them comparable to what they pay their full-time faculty. And they should. I think the salary should be very similar. I don't think that uh, adjuncts should be paid less. And I agree, it's better, you know, I know human resources, so let me come in and teach a human resources course rather than have a professor that has no experience teaching the human resources course. So I see the value in it, but it has to be, uh, they need to be treated with dignity and respect as well. And I don't see that at every college and university where the, the majority are the adjuncts are being paid a lot less. Very true. And they have very little input into the governance systems, things along those lines, which, you know, at at university faculty governance is uh, very, very important. Uh, There's a lot of different models out there for it. We won't get into that today because it's, uh, well, it's not an HR, but, you know, frankly, it's, it is an issue out there and we need to take a better look at that. Absolutely. Yeah. The majority of our listeners are from smaller, less funded universities and if you were advising one of their presidents of a smaller campus, uh, privates, when it comes to personnel, what would you say to them that would help them become more sustainable? Well, one of the things that we do, and we've been very successful in doing it, is we do a human resources assessment with any new engagement that we have with a university. So if the college or university is interested in looking at their HR practices then we have a proprietary uh, assessment process that we come in and we spend two days and we look at everything that they're doing from an HR perspective, application, turnover figures, compensation, employee handbook, all the compliance issues, uh, affirmative action plans if they're associated with any government contracting. So we look at everything and it, it actually is about a 12-page single-spaced uh, assessment that we do. And then we kind of give the president, or a lot of times it's a CFO that's bringing us in, we tell them, here's what you're doing really well, and here's where you, you, you need some help. And then we map out 
what the work's going to look like from, from us for the next 24, 30 months. And then we go into the engagement. So it's really hard to say broadly, okay, this is what presidents should be looking at until we actually roll up our sleeves. I understand when we come in and do an engagement, whether it be strategy, change work, governance, leadership, whatever, we like to come in and do a a two to five day assessment of the institution, figure out what's going on. It's like an auto mechanic. You you come in and you tell the, the mechanic, well, I've got this knocking going on underneath the hood. And I think it's this. Well, a lot of times it isn't this, it's that, and it's up to the mechanic to figure out what's going on. And uh, sometimes we find some simple things like, well, we can't attract really good candidates because nobody wants to live in this part of Nebraska or this part of Iowa or this part of Illinois. It's too far away. But then when we start really delving down deeper, I'll ask them a simple question. You know, what churches are within a 200-mile radius of the school And they don't know because, one, they have no relationship with any churches in the community in a 200-mile radius. So they have a two-pronged problem. One, you can't attract professors locally that might be in within a 200-mile radius to come teach at your school. And two, you're not marketing your school to students within a 200-mile radius. And come to find out, a lot of times there was a, a college that I was working with where there was a church that was literally like 30 miles away and never really knew what that university was offering when all the people that were attending that church could have gone to that school. So it's really, it it can become marketing problems that the university has, either attracting candidates and, and like I said, even students. Uh, We cry about enrollment, you know, dropping and there's not enough kids coming in. But when you start talking about relationships with local churches, believe it or not, a lot of them don't have those relationships, even across the street. Yeah, that's that's a huge issue that we found as well, is building those relationships, articulation agreements, those type of things. You know, it's a perfect avenue to bring in new students, new faculty members, et cetera. You've got to take advantage of what's in your environment. Exactly. What gets you excited to stay engaged with what you're doing? Because it's obviously you are. I was just telling somebody just recently, I can't imagine doing anything else than what we're doing now with In His Name HR. I just love our firm, what we stand for, the clients that we have, our global reach that we have now. We're actually doing a podcast next week uh, in Melbourne, Australia. So, all these folks are going to hear HR from a Christian perspective in Australia. So, I mean, how can you not be excited that, you know, the world's starting to learn about In His Name HR within a very short period of time? So I love uh, partnering with new clients. I love uh, seeing the difference that it makes when we find great candidates for them. That's one thing that we specialize in is recruitment. We're not a headhunter organization. We partner with organizations long-term, and then we augment them, and we train their recruiters internally on how to recruit correctly. So um, I just get excited about what God's doing globally. There's a lot of negativity in the news, you know, political 
uh, war, you know, weather. There's a lot of negativity, but there's a lot of positive things on what God's doing in the world. I agree. So what's next personally for you? What's next personally for me is we're just going to continue to grow uh, the organization. I've been looking at a variety of different PhD programs. I would like to get uh, my doctorate sometime in the future. And uh, um, on a personal side, I love fitness. I love the outdoors. I Coincidentally, next week, uh, I'm going to the Grand Tetons. I'm going to climb the Grand Tetons. Last year, I did the uh, Mount Washington with a group of MBA students. I took them to the top of Mount Washington. So I have some personal fitness goals, some personal uh, hiking and outdoor adventure goals. And um, love my wife. We've been married for 31 years and uh, love to travel with her. So we have a lot of travel plans and, again, uh, the business growth. That's great. Any last words for us? No, I just want to thank you, Drum, for reaching out for us to be able to give encouragement to higher ed, whether it's a secular school or a Christian organization. We're just honored to be here and to to speak to your listeners. Thank you, Drum. Thank you. Thanks for listening this week. And a special thank you to this week's special guest, Mark Griffin from In His Name HR. Thank you, Mark. Some great information, and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate it. Our next guest is Martin Leifeld, former Vice President of Advancement and Development for the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Martin and his teams have raised over $500 million for universities and other entities, and he's going to share with us his strategies for building strong development programs for public and private universities. If you like this podcast, please take a minute to subscribe to the show And if you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, would you please take a moment to give us a rating and review? You can find out more information and show notes at changinghighered.com. And if you have guests and or other topics you'd like to hear about, please email us at podcast at changinghighered.com to let us know. Remember, creating sustainable higher ed institutions requires three things. Taking a holistic view of your institution aligning strategies, structures, and processes, and ensuring stakeholders are attuned to where you're going. Without any of those three things, you won't get your institution where you want it to go. Until next time.